as we're starting a brand new series today. It's called Serpent Crusher. Okay, making sure the slide was actually up behind me. It's called Serpent Crusher. Way to go. Come on. I love it. Right? We're starting a brand new series. And if you're like me, sometimes faith and Christianity, um, it can have a lot of gaps in it. And I don't mean to say that like, you don't know anything. I just mean like, we, we, we oftentimes experience faith in a very fragmented manner. In other words, we, we learn kind of these isolated Bible stories or you hear sermons and you, you, you've heard now you know, like about Samson or you've heard about Peter and fishing and you've heard about this. And, and so you have like these fragmented stories, but you don't know how it all fits together. And you walk in and you can kind of feel a little bit like you're, you're jumping into a conversation a little bit late. You ever done that before? Anybody have a relative who just never seems to catch the conversation when it starts and always wants you to like start it over again. And you're like, mom, like why? I don't want to read. I don't want to start the whole conversation over. Could you just jump in when we actually begin this thing? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Some of you are looking at each other and you're like, oh my gosh. My in-laws were in town, not this past weekend, but last. And we decided to watch the, the latest Jurassic World movie. And Come to find out, they thought they had, but they hadn't watched all of the Jurassic Park movies leading up to it. And so you start the movie and you're like, wait a minute, what is that? What is happening right now? Like, I don't, I'm not quite up to speed on the whole story. And so when you jump in and you, you've got the fragmented version, you can understand and watch that movie on its own. But if you really want to appreciate it, if you really want the full experience, you need to understand the grand story of Jurassic Park. It would be like watching or jumping in to Star Wars with The Last Jedi, right? It would be like, like opening up Lord of the Rings in the middle of the book and trying to just, trying to just you know, get up to running speed here. It would be difficult, would it not? It would be like starting the Fast and Furious franchise at movie 47 rather than the first movie. You know what I'm talking about. I've only seen one. There's only 900 Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Sometimes it's easy with faith to actually feel lost. And to not see where you fit into this thing or how it makes sense in your life. And we just know a couple stories. You feel lost at all? And I don't mean to say, do you, do you just feel lost even with church? But you find yourself just kind of wandering right now? Trying to figure some things out? Working your way through some marriage stuff and maybe you feel a little bit lost. Trying to sort through some parenting stuff and you just feel a little bit lost. You're navigating college. You're navigating high school or middle school and you feel a little bit Lost. You're, you're, you're trying to navigate a big move, a job change. You're trying to navigate being single, being divorced. You're trying to navigate being a grandparent. You're navigating all these things, and it's really easy in this life to simply feel lost. Feel that way? I have great news for you today. 
We're starting this series called Serpent Crusher. Yes. And as we look at the stories, we're going to start over at the very beginning. And we're going to understand a bit how the Bible tells the story of Jesus from beginning to end. And in it, my hope is that your trust in God would increase. And yes, that we would actually see how God is at work in our very lives right now. Not just history, but right now. So that all these areas where maybe you feel a little bit lost, you can have a lot more confidence and trust that God is at work. Amen. Father, be with us as we open the Bible, as we read from the scriptures today. Lord, work in our lives. Lord, I pray even just by the power of the Spirit that you would be at work. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to you. Open our hearts and open our minds to you, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Move. Amen. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. I'm going to paraphrase some things. We're starting over at the beginning, but I'm jumping over the, the, you know, the six days of creation and God resting, although that's really great stuff. Right? Starting over, if you want, go back and read it. But, but I'm getting to, to some of the tension, right? The, the first tensions we see in creation. Here we are in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God has given them a command to not partake of a particular fruit from a particular tree. And now the serpent, verse 1, chapter 3, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did God really say that? What's interesting is Eve comes with the response, well, this is what God said. And then she actually adds to what God said. God actually didn't say not to even to touch it. He just said, don't eat it. Right? But she adds, don't, don't, don't touch it. Right? The, already we see the work of religion at, at work here, trying to keep us right, from stepping over the, the boundary lines, preventing us from sinning. Religion is already at work. Well, God said this, but I'm adding this. And the crafty serpent is at work. Crafty meaning deceptive, sneaky. He's working overtime here. It's tragic, but some of you guys, this idea of, of your eyes being open to good and evil. I, I grew up in the 80s, and this is going to be foreign to many of you. Uh, some of you will catch this, uh, but, but in the 80s growing up, your eyes would get opened to things by other kids in the neighborhood. Okay, 
And so there was always at least one kid, tragically so, who would find a dirty magazine, right, that was their dad's. That's how it went. Ryan did find, it was in the basement box, you know, and he'd sneak it out of the house and then he'd be trying to show all the other kids in the neighborhood. And I'm telling you, that's how you were exposed to things many times, right? And the minute you saw certain things, there was no unseeing it. You were exposed, right? And oftentimes there was the feeling of, I know I shouldn't be looking at this. I feel strange looking at this, but it's being, it's being introduced to me. And what's happening in this moment? Your eyes are being opened to evil, to good and evil, right? Your eyes are literally being opened to it. Nowadays, it's a text message, right? That comes in and, oh, you know, your middle schooler, your teenager might be getting things on their phone, unwillingly sent to them. It happens all the time. And they open the text and there's no undoing what they've seen or they're searching for something or you're searching for something on the internet and, and boom, right? Something pops up and it's not what you were looking for, but it came through the window anyway and you can't unsee or undo what just got in and now the knowledge of good and evil is now present. You are aware and there's no making you unaware. At this point. And so innocence, it's like an it's like an orange that's being squeezed. If you've ever seen like the, the orange juice makers and the oranges go down the little tube and then they get pressed and the orange you know, juice comes out, those things are amazing. It's like innocence is just being squeezed out, drained right out. If we're going to understand. Eyes being opened to good and evil. Now you're getting a much better idea of what this looks like. Is God really holding out on you? No. But like a good father who is trying to protect his sons and daughters from things they don't need to know or experience yet. He's being protective. And yet Satan comes and he twists that thing. Did God really say he is holding out on you? And now we have the first sin entering humanity's bloodstream. My way is better than God's way. And the snake is the snake. And what do we say when people are deceptive? When people are twisting and, 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 and crafty? What do we call those people? We call them a snake, right? Going all the way back to the garden, we understand this serpent, this animal as, as this deceptive, wily, right, crafty thing that wiggles its way in to do damage. And so the image that I want you to take with you today is that sin is like a venomous snake bite. I threw out a post this past week about snakes on Facebook, and boy, did I get more than I bargained for. Can a snake really be a pet? I don't need answers right now because clearly people have very strong opinions about this, right? But the reality is most people, 
<laughs> when asked about snakes, we're like, there's only one kind, there's only one good snake, and that's a dead snake, right? I mean, people, people are not very favorable towards snakes at large, okay? Amy has some great stories about taking a shovel to a snake in our yard. You don't mess with Amy. Oh, you tried to bite my kid? I'm going to destroy you, and literally, you're going to wish you'd never existed, Sir Snake. Right? And she, I mean, I wish I had video of it, of her hunting with a shovel and taking the head off of the snake in our yard. Should that have been my job? Maybe, I guess. But she was handling it fine on her own. Right? She manhandled that thing. I've had the, the rake in the garage before. Right? In the big trash can because there was a big snake behind the bookshelf. And I had my neighbor over and we're, you know, we're moving stuff around. And the, you know, the snake is, you know, it's hissing and it's coiling. Right? And I get it on the rake. Right? You know, you, know, you kind of do this and everyone's kind of, you know, you're jumping and tiptoeing. I turn around because my neighbor's supposed to be holding the trash can. He's running down the street. <laughs> Gone. He's abandoned me. I've been, I'm left to it all completely on my own, right? The, the snake, and it was a big guy. It was a rat snake. And a rat snake is supposed to be a good snake. I don't care. That snake is gone, okay? Sin is like a venomous snake bite. We're going to get to Genesis 3, verse 8 in just a minute. But if, if we're going to understand sin in this moment, and we're going, to under, we're going to fill in the gaps, we're going to understand how Jesus is, is the fulfillment of some things that begin right here in Genesis chapter 3, then it's also helpful to understand the, the, the full implications of the snake. A venomous snake bite, by the way, if you didn't know, it's not poisonous snake. It's a venomous snake, the more that you know, right? The venom of a snake does generally one of two things. When you get bit by that thing, it's generally a slow toxin that paralyzes you as you go, which is why some snakes, they'll bite you, right? Or they'll bite that animal, and then it's like they don't give a care in the world. You know why? Because they can just follow along at their leisure, waiting for you to die a slow death, paralyzed little bit by little bit by little bit as your nervous system is attacked and stops working. And then all of a sudden, you can't move anymore. And then what does that snake do? Swallows you. And what do they do? They swallow you whole. Mmm, delicious. There's either that option or, or there's the, the venom of like a, a viper, which is sudden, right? And the poison, the, the venom, excuse me, it hits so fast, right? You're talking seconds. And all of a sudden, your internal organs begin to bleed and corrode and decay at a rapid rate. And you literally bleed out from the inside out. Like, it, it just starts to corrode instantly. And is this not a picture of what sin does to you or can do to you? Many times sin, it's the slow, paralyzing effect. What is it that Satan says here? In a crafty way, he says, oh, you're not going to die. And in one breath, he's right. Adam and Eve did not die instantaneously when they sinned against God. Oh, they eventually died. 
But they didn't die in that moment. What happened? The slow, agonizing, paralyzing effect of sin that eventually brought them to their demise. Prior to that, they would have lived forever in paradise, in perfect relationship with God. I know it's hard to imagine what that would have been like, but it's true. There's that. That's what's at, that's what's at stake here. Or there's the, the sin where you know, like, you, you, you spent 16 years building a faithful marriage, and in one decision, you brought the whole thing down instantaneously, like a viper sinking its teeth into you, the effects of sin can be paralyzing or they can be instantaneous. It's going to be one or the other. Make no mistake about it, you will not sidestep the effects of the venom of sin. Sin is like a venomous snake bite. So what happened in the garden? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Before Adam and Eve have ever been banished from the garden, in other words, banished from God's presence because of their sin, God does something that I want you to remember this morning, church. Before God pronounces any kind of judgment over the, or, or, or issues consequence for their sin, he deals with the perpetrator first, that snake. He curses that thing, doesn't he? He puts a full-on whoop on the snake. And then he issues forth a promise that many times we don't perceive as such good news. But when you understand what Adam and Eve lost, there's a reason why this is called the fall. But we look at it and all we've ever known is broken humanity. All we've ever known is pain and loss. All we've ever known is a world that has been ravaged by sin. But imagine a world where that has never been the case. That's never been the experience of Adam and Eve. They have had perfect paradise relationship with God. No tears, no difficulty, no pain, no hardship. This is an amazing, life-giving, joyful relationship. They're waking up and it's just, it's bliss. It's skipping around. It's the best time of their life. And now it is 
gone. Oh, the loss that they would have felt instantly. And what is it that God says? He immediately, as a good father, puts a rescue mission in place. And he says to Eve, particularly, truly, truly the offspring of Adam and Eve, he says, you're going to have offspring, and this offspring, one of your sons is going to write this wrong. And what is broken, my paraphrase, is going to be made right. You're, he's going to crush the head of this serpent, but the serpent is also going to bite his heel. In other words, there is going to be one who is coming who will be so powerful and so magnificent and so great and wondrous that he will crush this serpent's head. But in so doing, that snake is going to get one little bite in right on that Achilles tendon, and it's going to take him down. And what do we see? We see Christ fulfilling this prophecy beginning all the way in Genesis chapter 3. He does what mankind and Adam and Eve are not able to do. He walks in perfect relationship with his heavenly father. Oh, his birth was also divine in how it came about. Oh, he also had a moment where the snake came and whispered in his ear. For 40 days in the wilderness, what happened to Jesus? Oh, that crafty, wily snake came and tried to tempt him as well. And he came about and did the exact same thing. Did God really say? Did God really say that to you, Jesus? I think he might be holding out on you. I think he's holding out on you. And Jesus did what Adam and Eve were unable to do. He resisted this temptation. And instead of looking at the serpent and the apple and the temptation and saying, my will and not yours be done, Jesus does the opposite and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he willingly gives his life in sacrifice for our sin. Yes, that very sin that took place in the garden thousands of years prior and all the brokenness moving forward from that moment. Look what sin produces. I mean, moments after their sin, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They went and they hid because sin always produces fear. Verse 23, it won't be on the screen, but what, what happened? God banished them from the garden to work the ground, 
right? There's separation now. Sin always produces fear. Sin always produces separation between you and God. Sin always produces pain and hardship. Part of the curse of humanity is now that childbearing will be painful. It will be difficult. It will have loss. Also, Adam, when you're working, and Eve, when you're working, this isn't going to be easy anymore. It's by the sweat of your brow that you're going to make a living. And how often, even now in 2023, do you look across the table and have conversations with, with your spouse or your friend about money or the lack thereof or my job or work because work has become so hard. And ultimately, the price of sin, when you aren't in God's presence, who is the sustainer of all life, the answer that's coming, the true venom of this bite, this snake, this sin, is death. There's no way for for corrupted, decayed, rotted flesh to exist in a holy God. And so death is coming and all the pain that you've ever experienced, all the loss, all the hardship, those moments of feeling hopeless, in despair, anxious, worried, It all comes down to this. Oh, you're your own contributor. But it started in Genesis chapter 3. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, in case, we, in case the tendency is to look at Adam and Eve and be like, way to screw it up for us all. You did this to us and I'm just the victim here. Okay, I'm with you. I get that. Man, I want to box Adam right now. I want to get in that gym that Patrick was in when he talked about during worship. And I want to throw down with that guy. Why did you do this to us? But Genesis, or excuse me, Romans 5, Paul says that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all men because all have sinned. You and me are just like Adam and Eve. Oh, make no mistake about it. They were first. They led the way. Our blood has forever been tainted as humans along that bloodline and along that, the line of descendants from Adam and Eve. Make no mistake about it. You've inherited that. But you also, by your own doing and by your own choice, have taken that piece of fruit from that tree as well, and you have been corrupted. The venom that, that corrupted the hearts of Adam and Eve got you too, and got me too. And so Paul writes in Romans, it's all of us. You ever been to like the amusement park or the mall when people used to go to the mall? Some of you may still go to the mall. But you know, you, you walk in the entrance and there's always the big map, right? And you're like, hmm, where's the store that I'm trying to get to? And, you know, you're looking at the map and there's always three words. There's a little dot and there's three words that go right with it. Anybody know what they are? You are here. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's like, oh, in case you don't know where you are, I, I realize you're lost, 
but let me help you find yourself for just a second. You're not going to like what you find, but I'm going to help you find it no less. You are here. All have sinned. We are all destined for hell. Uh, eternity without God. That is what is in store for all of us. What on earth are we going to do about it? Thanks be to God for sending his son Jesus as the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3. Thousands of years later, he is the one who steps onto the scene and does what Adam was commissioned to do in the first place. What is it that he does? Adam was commissioned with doing the work of his heavenly father, right? And he was to work the garden. And what is it that Jesus says that he was called to do, right? He was called to also to do the work, the work of his heavenly father. That's what he says he's here to do. And specifically, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised Savior who comes to seek and who comes to save that which is lost, which is all of us. That is who Jesus is. That's what Jesus has done. And literally in the very first few pages of Genesis, we see the arrows pointing all the way to Christ. Oh, those coming after Adam and Eve, they didn't catch all of it. Oh, they were looking and waiting for the anointed one, the Messiah. They were expected, the Jews were expectant, but they didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know how it was going to come. Oh, but they were waiting for a serpent crusher. The one who would finally step in and destroy the works of the enemy. Isaiah 25, 8 says this as we land the plane this morning. In talking of Jesus, Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament that he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. He's going to swallow up death forever. The head of the serpent who brought death is now going to be crushed. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, Paul writes again, therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, this is speaking of Jesus, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In other words, the minute Adam and Eve sinned, it, it's, like, it's like shackles came upon the wrists and ankles of humanity. The shackles of, of sin. And what, what were those shackles? It's, it's shame. It's rage. It's anger. It's fear. It's despair. It's hopelessness. It's rebellion. It's, it's lust. 
It's disobedience. It's, yes, witchcraft. It's, it's anything that, that, that assaults itself against the will of God and, and God's holiness. This is now the sin that we are shackled to and it's a hopeless life. But thanks be to God who sets us free. And what is it that he has done? He delivers all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We are slaves to death. But through Jesus... Ladies and gentlemen, you are free because he is the serpent crusher. He is the one who finally has the answer for our sin. And that's why our hope in Jesus is so great. It's why we come here. It's why we sing. It's why we rejoice. It's why we have a little pep in our step. It's why we can sing and rejoice even when the screens aren't working right. Because at the end of the day, our hope is not in computers and and this and that. It's in Jesus Almighty, what he accomplished and did 2,000 years ago. That's what we rejoice in. It's what we get sweaty up here for, preaching. It's why we put up pipe and drape that, that people might hear the good news of Christ Jesus. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You are free from this fear. You are free from the weight of this. You are free from hopelessness. You are free from despair. You have life. In Jesus, the Almighty One. The gospel is this, and it's how I will end you today. I will end service today. I will end you today. <laughs> oh, wow. Whew, it is quite a Sunday in here, folks. You're going to hear this over the many weeks to come. I actually would encourage you to memorize it. I think it's one of the most helpful ways for you to remember the gospel, but also to even help share it with somebody else. It's a few short sentences. This is the gospel, and it is how I leave you today. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived the life that Adam and Eve should have lived. And he died the death that we should have died in our place. Three days later, this Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to those who repent and believe in him. This is the gospel. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because this is what sets you free.
the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Stand to your feet today. You may be standing here today. You don't have to walk down front. You don't have to raise your hand. You can. You can come down and receive prayer and you can do it for any reason that you might have today. But the first order of business this morning is contending with the, that snake, that venom that courses through our bloodstream. And if you have not dealt with that, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus today, if you haven't put your trust in Him, then you are still left wrestling with this in your own strength and in your own power. But Jesus is the promised Savior who changes everything. It's His blood that you need. You need a blood transfusion today. And spiritually speaking, that's what you get. Not by your works, not by your strength, but by faith in Jesus as your Savior. That's the beauty of the gospel. Do you need to respond today? Do you believe this? Father, in this moment, God, as we stand before you, Lord, we collectively say thank you for your son Jesus, the son of the living God, the one who did what we could not do. And today, we put our faith in you afresh. And if you are standing here today, I have a special moment for you. I want you to, if you need to put your faith in Christ, maybe you need to renew that faith in Christ, then right where you're standing, say, Jesus, you are my king. You are the Holy One. I give my life to you. I trust in you. You are my Savior. Not my will, but yours be done. Thank you for overcoming sin, overcoming death, and giving me the victory. I have the victory because of you, Jesus. And I rejoice in you today. Take everything. It's in the mighty, beautiful, glorious name of Jesus that we say, Amen.